welcome to the Is That So podcast. My name is Sahela and I am the host and chief content officer here at the Is That So podcast. Follow along each week as I share stories, pose questions, and provide insights on various wellness, travel, and relationship topics aimed to help us all navigate through this rapidly evolving modern world a little bit easier. Here at the Is That So podcast, we believe that life should always be a work in progress. So come learn, laugh, and listen in on unfiltered stories and conversations so that we can open new doors to inspiration, happiness, and forward thinking together. It's recording. Okay. I hate it when I have technical difficulties. Okay. So I'll just start. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Is That So podcast. Today, I have invited mother, wife, daughter, and certified mental health coach, Elia Markham, to come on the podcast to tell us her story of how she overcame extremely difficult circumstances and personal trauma. Welcome, Elia. Hey, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for coming. So to give everyone a little bit of context, I was first introduced to Elia when she reached out to me to tell me her story of healing and growth. After experiencing the ambiguous loss of her father, growing up with an alcoholic mother and battling through a betrayal trauma after her husband had a marital affair. I knew as she ended her story and began to tell me about the reasons why she started her company, Moodwell, that she needed to come on the podcast because, much like Miles' story in episode 11, hearing someone be so open, honest, and self-aware gives us all the courage to face our own personal shame and trauma. And I want to continue to empower this community to talk about what they are going through and express themselves so that we can all overcome barriers holding us back from finding our true purpose and source of happiness. So here we are. But before we dive into Elia's story, why don't you, Elia, first share with everyone the reason why you started Moodwell along with what you hope to achieve with the practice? Yeah, sure. So I help women who have survived traumatic life crisis prioritize their mental health, even if they don't have time or they feel powerless to do so. So I started this to give women the space to heal and to sort through everything that encompasses an individual's journey, if that makes sense. That totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So with life coaching or in my situation, it's crisis coaching, right? Because people typically come to me with a crisis. Mm -hmm. And because I am relatable, hopefully, and have also been through life crisis, your emotion and the things that you are going through and experiencing do not frighten me. So you are safe to come to me with the chaos of what's going on. And yeah, I started Moodwell to create that safe space. And how did you find your calling and path? Like what happened in your life? Like lay it all out for us in your words. Okay, sure. So it started really early on for me. It, you know, it started with a divorce in my childhood. My mother and my father had decided to part ways. I mean, they were constantly fighting. I remember at a young age thinking, could you just get divorced already? Because I don't want to be around all this chaos, all this fighting. Yeah. And they did. They ended up getting divorced when I was in sixth grade. And you know, I can't remember exactly how long my mom had been drinking. I mean, it must have been really difficult as a child to see your parents fight and then actually want them to divorce. You know, most people don't have that reaction. It must have been pretty difficult of a situation. 
yeah, I remember all the fighting and I honestly, I remember me wanting them to get a divorce because it was just constant drama. And I remember seeing my dad for the first time sobbing and remembering my heart breaking, not knowing what was going on. And I can't remember back to like what they were fighting about. I just remember I was heartbroken for the situation and I knew that it was unhealthy and I knew that it wasn't working out. And so they end up getting divorced and it was much harder to live in a household where there is constant fighting and disagreement and yelling and just turmoil than it is to have to travel from mom and dad's house every other weekend. Yeah, I feel like that it's a negative space that you just have to constantly live in. Yeah, and as a kid, you're supposed to be focused on like playing and going to school and just like learning how to navigate life. You know, I was like in sixth grade when my parents' divorce was official, but this whole situation was starting to build up bitterness in my mom's heart. I, of course, I don't feel comfortable enough to like say I know how my mother felt, but I am comfortable to say all of this really affected her and obviously really affected my dad. So as a kid or as a, you know, a preteen, you're already going through these normal changes I'm still healing from my parents' divorce and trying to navigate the, I'm going to dad's this weekend, I'll be at mom's this weekend. And then my dad's like, oh, I'm not the dad that you grew up with. I am changing. Seventh grade, my father starts to transition. And Mm -hmm. so I'm hit with having to process the grief of my parents not staying together but also process the grief that my father is not going to look, sound, or reach my expectations or society's expectations for what a father should be. Yes. You always have this idea of what like a father is, and then they aren't going to be that version of a father that you thought that you were maybe going to have. Yeah. And I do want to say this. I really did grieve and still sometimes feel it deep in my heart because me and my dad are very close and me and my dad are really close to this day. But I had to really mourn that father daughter relationship, you know, of a male father figure that I had when I was really young. And on top of the fact, my mom had no idea how to deal with this, right? Yeah, I don't think there's a playbook on how to deal with this. Right? So, you know, you have my mom who heard from her own children that daddy is turning into a woman. Um, And I don't know the reasoning behind why it was done that way. And maybe looking back, I'm sure they both feel like they could have done things differently. But in the moment and in the season, you had two very broken people raising children. Mm -hmm. Very imperfect, broken people who were so concerned um, about their kids that as soon as she could help us, we were in therapy or find the resources to help us. Like we were in those resources, but she wasn't. What do you mean she wasn't? She did not seek out professional help for her betrayal trauma. Okay. So after your parents divorced, how was your relationship with your father? I was so broken just from the divorce. And when my father had decided 
that he was going to transition to a woman, it created a bigger Mm -hmm. gap and even more confusion for me. Totally. Yeah. Trying to navigate life, right? And now I was presented with something that was incredibly unique. But at the same time, if we're going to be completely honest, it was humiliating. I kept secrets from my friends. I distanced myself in the sense that I didn't want my dad at events, right? Because I didn't want to have to explain to someone or one of my friends that that's my dad. And yeah, I'm still really young processing why my father's a woman and then to throw in to the mix that I might have to explain it to someone else was too much. Yeah. And it created this whole secrecy. But also, um, I had really struggled with trying to figure out who was safe. Yeah, I can imagine that all being a lot. Yeah. And my mom's alcoholism didn't come until after my dad transitioned. Yeah. So you said that you were um, dealing with it. So how did you help process this experience and this shame that you were harboring? Um, So it took a really long time and it took a lot of therapy. So I stopped going to therapy once I processed what I thought I needed to know at that time about my dad. However, my mom started heavily drinking around the same time that my, you know, dad was transitioning and became really bitter and really resentful and took it out on me. So I started kind of transitioning from my therapy appointments, not being about my dad, but being about my mom, because my mom was mentally and emotionally abusive to me. Okay. Did that affect you more than even your father's transition as you moved through high school? Yes. So my dad was not verbally or emotionally abusive to me. So very specifically in high school, I did not want to be at home. Mm -hmm. I did not like to go home. And I ended up living for the most part at one of my best friend's house the majority of the time because I didn't want to go to school and I didn't want to go home. And I knew if I got in trouble at school, my mom was going to like just give it to me so hard when I got home. Yeah. Or I remember when I was even younger that I would clean the house from top to bottom before my mom got home just so she wouldn't scream at me. Wow. So she was constantly mad about something and someone was always the scapegoat. And until my stepdad came around, it was mostly me. Mm -hmm. I mean, my body just tensed up hearing like that's not a fun situation to be in. No. And it's, It's one of those things is, you know, I'm a mother of four kids and the anxiety that I have experienced growing up in that kind of environment, I'm like hyper aware of as a mother to my Mm -hmm. four kids. I'm like, let's not make a big deal about that because we don't want to like give anxiety to our kids at all. Yeah. But like about the most trivial things. Yeah. Did that relationship affect your self-esteem, confidence, the people you chose to surround yourself with and your personal choices or? Yeah. For a very long time, I was searching for a mother. I was searching for someone to confide in, who I could trust, who would who would speak truth into my life, who would like be a mom. Mm-hmm. Tell me that I'm pretty because I'm her daughter. You know, treat me like a daughter. Mm-hmm. I could not speak as to why. I just know that when my mom is drinking 
I am the most hated person in the world. Wow. I'm so sorry to hear that. But if my mom is not drinking, she wants a better relationship with me, but she cannot give up the alcohol Mm -hmm. because of that. And because of my adamant, and I mean, very adamant disapproval of her drinking, it's basically put a giant trench in between us. I am not an enabler. And so I don't enable her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And setting boundaries is a great way to make sure that like you're not continuously putting yourself up as a sacrificial lamb to someone else's trauma. Exactly. Exactly. And let me tell you, it is extremely hard to put boundaries up with your own parents. And I, I've, I've caught myself slipping up on my boundaries every once in a while because like, oh, you want, I want that relationship so badly. Yeah. I want to have a mom who's like awesome and wants to hang out with and ha- we can have like a great relationship, but it's just not there. Yeah. And it was, it's hard to accept that. Hey, I, I can only imagine. <laughs> um, yeah, that must've been very, very difficult. So, um, once you were like old enough to leave the proverbial nest, How did your personal journey change and how did you meet your husband? So I actually didn't leave the nest until I met my husband. Okay. I lived with my dad when I met my husband and we fell in love, got married really quickly, had our first child very fast. Mm -hmm. So in him, I found this relationship that I had kind of been really looking for. He kind of had this typical manly persona, right? So mm-hmm. well, I was working at an outdoor store. So maybe I could call it like a camping store. Um, sure. So he was like really into that kind of thing. Yep. I call them crunchy granola bar boys. <laughs> like guys that are bushwhacking and like camping and portaging and stuff like that. <laughs> I call them crunchy granola boys. Yeah, yeah. He wears like flannel plaid and he's like got a beard and, you know, he's great. Anyway, he's really man. He's a manly man. Okay. And so I was like, yes. <laughs> yeah. And so what did that feel for you? Exactly. Why were you looking for like a manly man? Well, I guess I, ju- I was looking for a manly man, if we're going to be completely honest, because it was a change of pace from all the women in my life, yes. including my dad. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, finally, you know, we got some like, you know, someone with rough hands around here. Yeah. And um, but at the same time, I put him on like a pedestal, to be honest with yeah. all that, like he probably, it was probably too high. Mm-hmm. And my husband and I come from very different backgrounds. So he comes from a family that's still intact and very close. And, you know, we, we met, we fell in love and we got married and we had our first kid and things were great until they weren't. Mm-hmm. Did you ever battle with mental health issues even prior to meeting him? Yes, because of all the turmoil and because of all the change in pace constantly, I am diagnosed with anxiety and depression. And it's heightened even more now because of having children just, you know, changes the hormones in my body. And mm-hmm. and did you ever take medication? Like, how do you feel about medication? Oh, it's my fave. Oh. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I'm on medication. <laughs> I have been on medication. Yeah, I've been on antidepressants since I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And I even dive into the supplement department every now and again to like make sure I'm staying up on all those 
vitamin D's and mm-hmm. vitamin B's and CBD and all that stuff. It's my it's all in my tool chest yeah. of resources and Yeah. And a lot of people find that stuff very, very helpful. I've been taking vitamin D a lot, so Mm-hmm. And that's that's a hormone. So it's really important. It's not a vitamin. It's a Mm -hmm. hormone. It's really a mood booster. It really does help. Totally. But if I could be off my pharmaceutical medication, I would love that. But I can't. It's just Mm -hmm. not at least not right now. And I'm also okay with that. Yeah. So you mentioned that your mental health was impacted when you started to have kids. So can you give Mm -hmm. us a little insight into like how exactly it was impacted? Yeah. So I had what is called a hearing-natal mood disorder, uh-huh. which is while you are pregnant, you have extreme anxiety, depression, OCD. It can kind of manifest itself oh in different ways depending on who you are. <laughs> like pregnancy isn't hard enough. Yeah. So I didn't have it so much with my first. So my first was a girl and then I had three boys. And with each boy, I mean, oh, like it was just insane. And it took a lot. Now, that whole battle between should I get on medication while I'm pregnant? That was one of those things Mm -hmm. where it was like, you're either going to admit yourself or you're going to get on the medication, like pick. Yeah. And so I ended up finally going on medication because I was waking up in the middle of the night with panic attacks. I was incapable of taking care of myself. And I'm not an expert on hearing needle mood disorder. And I'm so glad that I had the medical help that I did have who could recognize it. And I had friends that were proactive in helping me when I was pregnant, raising kids and going through this. So, yeah, but it was one of those things that you don't even really know it exists until it smacks you in the face and yeah, you're either gonna admit yourself to the psych ward or go on the medication that your doctor has suggested. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm sure that was a very hard decision to make. How did that affect your marriage? Oh man, if having kids doesn't affect your marriage alone, imagine adding crazy on top of it. My husband went to work mm-hmm. and then would come home and have to take care of a wife and kids that we already had. Also kind of put in perspective, I had literally kids back to back. Yeah. So I have four under six. Wow. Oh my God. (laughs) There there was not a lot of time in there for me to like adjust like my body to go back to normal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for some reason, this topic is probably harder for Mm -hmm. me to talk about than the rest of them because the body keeps the score of your trauma. And so talking about it, Because that trauma and that mental illness had so much effect on my body and my mind, I have a very hard time talking about it because I will forget what I'm talking about mid-sentence or I will dissociate. Fair enough. Yeah. And I'm actually postpartum right now. Yeah. So I'm heightened in it as well. So it's not something that I've completely processed through. I'm still in the journey of that. Okay. Well, we don't have to dive too much into it. I mean, I know previously you shared with me that your husband had an affair, but Mm -hmm. you were able to stay together after finding out. Mm -hmm. So what did it take for both of you to work through it? And how did you learn to trust him again? Okay, so I'm still learning to trust him. Mm -hmm. And I'm still learning to forgive and let go. Yes. So it's one of those things where... 
I still am scared that it will happen again mm-hmm. or that, you know, because I noticed the red flags, but the affair was just so crazy to me because like I would have never guessed mm-hmm. that my husband would have a full blown affair while I was pregnant with our third child. Mm-hmm. So it really took me prioritizing myself first. I was pregnant. So I made sure that I was mentally stable. Mm -hmm. And I also made sure that I had a really good support system. And I did. And I had a very good therapist. And I also had two very good support groups. So let me just say this very clear. I was not alone. Yes. And I did not take the affair by myself because it is sad. Yeah. It is very sad that the person that I am going to spend my life with and have had three babies with has literally went behind my back and betrayed me and lied to me about it over and over again. Yeah. So in my most vulnerable pregnant moment, my husband just checks out yeah. for another woman. And because of the support that I had established for myself. And a lot of the reason why I established this support for myself was not to repair my marriage. It was to prepare me to leave my husband. Okay. So it was for me. And it was so I would have support to be a single mom of three. Which must have been so scary. And I knew that it was going to take a village. Yes. Especially since my husband at the time was the only one that was working in our family and he'd taken me off all of our finances. Wow. So I had access to nothing. Yeah. So all of the support that I had, everyone knew the situation at hand. Everyone was very supportive, very loving. It was It was a saving grace. It was amazing how many people rallied for me and my kids and just our welfare. Things were taken care of with just so much love. Mm -hmm. So yeah. And so in my support group, I learned about boundaries. And I set five boundaries with my husband. And I said, you have to do these five things. And if you decide you can accept these five things, Mm -hmm. then I will stay and work our marriage out. If you cannot do these five things, and these weren't like manipulation. I don't want to say that. Like I wasn't doing these things to get my way or manipulate him. These were things that I set into place as his wife so I would feel safe. And so I wouldn't have to worry about being left holding the bag. (laughs) Yeah, lied to again, right? Believe me, I'm totally sympathizing with you here. I'm going to my next question is, what are these five boundaries that you set? But want you to take your time and get there. But um, but yeah, no, I totally get it. So no, I will tell you. So they were for my safety. They okay. were he had to join a support group because believe it or not, there are support groups out there for men who have betrayed their spouse. I did not know that. Like, Go talk about this to someone. Fair enough. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) How dare you make me work myself out? Um, (laughs) Two, he had to cut ties with the other woman. Also fair. He had to stop texting her. She had to stop calling him. This relationship had to end. I'm not going to hang around and just let you keep texting this other woman. Yeah, totally fair. This third one's going to be one of those things where it's individualized, but he had to put a tracker on his phone. Okay. But a lot of the reason was because I was pregnant and he was sneaking around. Okay. So I had to know where he was. The fourth one was 
we have to go to therapy. We have to go to couples counseling. Yeah. And then the other one was that he had to quit his job because she worked at his job. Okay. So those were my five things. So. Yeah. Yeah. It was intense. Yeah. But you know what? I feel like if that's what it takes to save your marriage, who would say no? Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, divorce had been mentioned several times within that little six month period of his affair. And every single time it was pursued, he put a stop to it. So it was like he was one foot in, one foot out. Like he really wanted to live in this unrealistic world. It was very bizarre because I watched my husband in this season deteriorate. Like he lost probably about 70 pounds. He was breaking out in hives all the time. Like he was not healthy during this time. Right. And so that was part of the reason it was like, you need to get help. You know, like you're not being rational, like you're not being logical. Like, yeah. So anyway. Yeah. All to say he accepted the conditions and we ended up moving to Missouri and he has been consistent in those five things and kind of even has gone even further with proving himself to be a a good husband and a good father and constantly asking me, like, what can I do? How can I improve? Like he has very much humbled himself in knowing that he made a huge mistake in being dishonest and. Oh, I'm so glad. Very willing to do the work to build a healthy relationship again. And I'm. Oh, that's so good. It's it is. But and it is still a work in progress as all marriage is because it's it's never smooth sailing. Yeah. As all lives are, (laughs) all lives Mm -hmm. should always be a work in progress. We'll never be finished. We'll never be perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Totally. Oh, my God. So, like, do you have any advice for people going through this this same kind of trauma or any of these traumas that you've been through in your life? Do you have advice as to where they can find support? Yes. So I would have to say my number one biggest advice is do not go real life crisis and do not battle any mental health issues by yourself. Mm -hmm. Always seek out support. If you are in the United States, you can always call 211 and someone will direct you to the closest resource to you. Mm -hmm. And then you can always find me at moodwellcoaching.org or you can find Moodwell Coaching on Facebook. And I am always here for women who need help or even if you're just like, do you know any counselors or therapists? Because in my journey, I also met a lot of other great professionals. So Mm -hmm. I always can find resources specifically for someone if it's not something that I feel like I could be able to help with. Mm -hmm. But have a support group and also have a tool chest. Yes. Have a tool chest to help you navigate this life. I actually made a whole episode about what I keep in my mental health toolbox. (laughs) So you can check that out too. But everyone needs one for sure. Yes. Oh, yes, exactly. Podcasts. There are resources. There are people who want to hear what you have to say. There are people who want to help you, who want to give you space to just be who you are and express yourself. And there are people just like me who are not scared of the emotion that you express about your situation. People to like be your cheerleader too when it comes to setting boundaries or if you feel like you're being gaslighted. You just mm-hmm. need that other person to cheer you on and be yeah. like, no, like what, how you're feeling, how you are processing your emotions is legit and it is valid yeah. and you're allowed to have these feelings. Totally. 
Amazing. Yes, someone to check in on you. Mm -hmm. Someone to love you when you can't love yourself. Yeah, I love that. And that can make all the difference of a dark day. Absolutely. And also another good piece of advice would be to know that you will get through this. As cliche as that sounds, Mm -hmm. that moment of despair is just a moment. Yeah. It does not mean that you aren't healing. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean that you aren't moving forward. It just means you're having a bad day. Yeah. Well, th- thank you so much for that amazing advice. But before you go, can you please share with everyone where the best place is to find you online? Sure. Um, moodwellcoaching.org or you can find me on Facebook um, on Moodwell Coaching. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming. I've loved our conversation and I think that it will make such an impact for so many people. So I thank you again for sharing it. Oh, thank you for having me. Take care. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Is That So podcast. For more information on this episode and all past episodes, you can check out my show notes on isthatso.com or follow me on Instagram at isthatso. If you enjoyed this episode and want to show your personal support to the podcast, simply leave a review on iTunes or screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your stories. All right, friends, that's it. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of the Is That So podcast. And I look forward to hanging out with you again soon.